morning. It is a blessing for me to be at Element Church this weekend. Uh, my wife Charlotte is with me this morning, and uh, we've had a week in Colorado where her family is uh, at a family reunion. And actually, her brother Chris, many moons ago, was Pastor Jeff's youth pastor a long time ago. So uh, we've kind of known Pastor Jeff. We've watched heard the rumors about Element Church. Now we get to see the reality. So it's been a really cool thing for us to be here with you. Bless you. We already love your church and we've only been to one service. I can't imagine how we're going to feel after the six o'clock service tonight. I want to introduce you. I mentioned my wife, Char. These are our two sons, Cameron and Kedrick. Uh, Cameron just graduated from Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri with a degree in English. We have some evangel people or Springfield people. Okay, good. Kedrick will be a sophomore this fall at Oklahoma Baptist University. So uh, we're kind of in the almost landing in our raising our children. Uh, we are still feeding them, though, and that is uh, sort of an ongoing process. I'm told at some point they will feed themselves. <laughs> we're waiting. We're waiting for that point to come. So I love the boys. I love a chance to uh, sort of brag on my family for a moment. Jeff mentioned my work is at Voice of the Martyrs. We are headquartered in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, which is where I live. Uh, one of my principal jobs at this point in time uh, is to produce and host a weekly half-hour radio program called Voice of the Martyrs Radio. And uh, if you go to vomradio.net, you can look at the, re the website. You can hear every episode of EOM Radio that we've ever done. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and on Google. Something really cool happened last month. Uh, on the iTunes religion and spirituality chart, VOM Radio was number one. So, and it was number one, VOM Radio. Number two was Joel Osteen, if you can believe that. So uh, that was a very happy day for me. Now, since then, Joel has gone back up, so I don't, you know, I don't want to say anything about that. <laughs> Voice of the Martyrs is a ministry to persecuted Christians, and I want to share a video real quick to kind of introduce you to the people that Voice of the Martyrs serves around the world. We're going to watch this video called Lena's Prayer. We were praying for revival, believing God would do a big work in Syria. Then the war came. Now the terrorists are attacking Christian homes, churches, and even our children. Their goal is to empty Syria of its Christians. We hate the spirit of Islam that is destroying our country. But we love our Muslim neighbors. They come to us and say, In the name of our God, terrorists rape and kill. Where is God? We tell them about Jesus, and many are coming to know him. Still others say, We are like living in hell.
one day while I was praying, I asked God what he would have me do to be his witness. But he only asked me, will you give me your life? As I prayed, I understood he wanted all of me. And I said yes. If the time came, I was willing to die for Jesus. The next day, while I was praying, I asked God again what he would have me do. This time he asked me, are you willing to give me your husband's life? It is not easy to be ready to die. My husband and I prayed about this together. We said yes to God. The third day was the most difficult. On this day, God asked me if I was willing to give up my children's lives. The terrorists know who we are and that we share Jesus with Muslims. It is not safe for our family. My husband and I prayed and fasted, and together we agreed. God gave us our precious children. He has the freedom to take them back. When we agreed to put our children on the altar, I knew I had to tell them the truth. I told them that it was possible that men with swords may come through our door, men who didn't know Jesus. They may say bad things to us and try to force us to convert to Islam. But no matter what they say, we should not answer them. We should only tell them that Jesus loves them and that we forgive them. I told them that we might see some blood and have some pain, but it would only be for a little while. <laughs> that we should just close our eyes, and when we open them, we will be with Jesus. Am I a good mother? Do you have to tell my children such things? I also told them that as long as God wants us to be safe, we will be safe, that He is in control. Even during the bloodshed, during the killing, He is carrying our future. This is what it means to be a Christian in Syria.
In all likelihood, I'm a lot like you. Never had that conversation with my children. Probably you haven't either. I go to work five days a week. I try to serve the Lord. I'm a member of First Wesleyan Church in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. I try to love my wife. We've tried to raise our boys the right way. I try to do a good job at my office and impress my boss so I can keep paying my bills. I need to exercise a little more. I'd like to drop a few pounds. And on Sunday afternoon, I like to watch the Denver Broncos march towards another Super Bowl. So see, I'm a lot like you, some of you. So what do we do? And I, and I mean we, what do we do with a story like that? What do we do with a story of a brother or a sister who is putting their lives on the line to do what we're doing right now? Meeting together, hearing from God, worshiping, singing. What do we do with those stories? What do we do with Jesus' words that, that blessed are you when they persecute you? Did you know that Jesus said that? Blessed are you when they persecute you? We like the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are the pure in heart. And we say, Lord, help me to be pure in heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we say, Lord, help me to hunger and thirst for righteousness in my life. But then it says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And how many of us read those words and say, Lord, give me some persecution? I don't. I, probably most of you don't. I've met people who prayed that prayer. In fact, if you listen to Voice of the Martyrs Radio this week, we have an interview with Mary Mamarzia, two ladies from Iran. And they prayed, Lord, allow us to carry a little of your cross. They spent 200 plus days in Evan prison in Tehran because God answered their prayer and allowed them to taste persecution. What do I do with these verses? What do we do with these verses when we're not persecuted? No one's breaking down our door. No one's swinging swords at us. So what do we do with this? How do we respond to this? That's what I want us to talk about while we have this time together today. But first, why does it matter? It matters because the Bible says it matters. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those in bonds as if you were bound with them. If you were in the prison cell right next to them, what would you want people to do? You'd want them to pray for you. You'd want them to help your family. You'd want them to write letters to the government and say, Get my brother out of prison. So it matters because the Bible says it matters. But friends, it also matters because... Who says that we, the American church, will always be protected from persecution? Have you noticed in our society maybe a little shift against the church, against godly teachings, against biblical truth? Who says we'll never face what Lena faced? It matters. 
Because we need to be ready. We need to be ready to not just survive, not hunker down and build a bunker and climb inside. We need to be ready to be a witness for Christ and thrive in the midst of persecution. That's why this is such an important topic. Uh, I want to suggest three things that we should do in response to the stories of our persecuted brothers and sisters. And the first thing that we need to do, you and me, is we need to get serious about our own faith. We need to get serious about our personal walk with Christ. I want to suggest three ways we can do that. The first is to get serious about personal Bible study. There's a group called Back to the Bible, and they've done some research on what happens in a person's life when they interact with the scriptures at least four times a week. Now, interact, maybe they read, maybe they listen to an audio Bible, but if they will do that four times a week, what does it do to a person? Let me share. If you read the Bible at least four times per week, then you are 62% less likely to drink to excess. You are 59% less likely to view pornography, 59% less likely to cheat on your spouse, 45% less likely to gamble, 31% less likely to lash out in anger, 28% less likely to gossip, and listen to this one, 228% more likely to share your faith with others. If you will interact with the Bible at least four times a week, it will change your life. It will change who you are as a person. If we're going to get serious about our own faith, we need to get serious about personal Bible study. If you're interested in more of those stats, by the way, backtothebible.org slash research is the place to go. They've got a whole study on it. It's really amazing. We need to get serious about personal Bible study, including understanding what the Bible says about persecution. Those passages like, blessed are you when you're persecuted. I want to share the story of John and Karen Short. They are, uh, were on one of our VOM radio programs earlier this year. Two years ago, John was detained inside North Korea. He was handing out gospel tracts. He actually was leaving them outside of a Buddhist temple. He was arrested, detained. For two weeks, they held on to him. He was 75 years old. Uh, thankfully, in Asian culture, one of the things they revere is the old aged. And so after two plus weeks, they let him go. Here's one of the amazing things that John and Karen shared. And I interviewed them separately, but they both talked about this. Throughout their married life, John and Karen read a chapter from Proverbs and a chapter from the Gospel of John together every day. On the first of the month, the first chapter. On the second, the second, and so forth. And so while he was detained inside North Korea, she was back at their home in Hong Kong. They were completely cut off from each other, but they were both reading the same passages of Scripture every day. And they both talked, and again, separately, they both talked about how that bound them together even though they are completely separated and completely cut off from each other. We have to get serious about personal Bible study, not just as a person, as couples, as families. We need to make the Bible a part of our lives the way that John and Karen have for so long that it's such an established pattern that they didn't even wonder what the other one was reading. They knew. That's the pattern of their life. The second way 
that we get serious about our own faith walk is we need to get serious about reaching the unreached. One of my coworkers was in China not long ago and he sat down on a flight that was going to take him across China. It was about a three and a half, four hour flight. Before he had even taken off, he's in the aisle seat. Next to him is a little Chinese lady and she looks at him before they've taken off and she says, are you a Christian? Now, this guy's an American. He said he's never been asked that in America. Interesting. Communist China. Are you a Christian? He says, yes, ma'am. She said, are you a real Christian? Do you read your Bible? Do you pray? Yes, ma'am, I do. She turns to the guy in the window seat, begins talking to him in Chinese. About 15 minutes later, she turns back to my coworker and she says, you need to pray for him. He's not a Christian. As they got off the plane, my coworker realized that this lady's husband was two rows up, also in a middle seat, with people on either side of him that he had had three and a half hours strapped into a seat to share the gospel with. Now, I fly a lot, and I want you to know I will do backflips to avoid having a middle seat. So this really challenges me. This Chinese couple put themselves in separate aisles in the middle seat so that they would have one person on their right and one person on their left and three and a half hours of closed time to share the gospel. That's being intentional about reaching the unreached. Maybe you have bought in a little too much to this postmodern American idea that, you know, You go your way, and I'll go my way, and at the end, we'll all sing Kumbaya together. It'll be great. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Do you believe that? Because if you do, you have to tell someone. It's not good enough to say, you go your way. Their way leads to hell. Jesus is the only way. We need to get serious about reaching the unreached. The third way that we need to get serious about our own faith is we have to learn to love our enemies. That's a hard one. There's some people in America who have trouble loving the people in their church, they have trouble loving their coworkers. They, haven't, they don't even want to talk about loving their enemies. Now, I'm sure that's none of you. We have to get serious about loving our enemies. Again, if we think that persecution might come to us, the American church, how are we going to respond to that? We have to learn to love the people that disagree with us and hate us and persecute us. The way Jesus did on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. We need to learn to love our enemies. We think right now that this is something for Christians like Lena in Syria, in Iraq, in China. The day may be coming when it's us. We need to learn to love our enemies. So the first way that that you and I can respond to persecution is we can get serious about our own personal walk with Christ. 
The second way that I want to suggest that we can respond is we can study the example of our persecuted brothers and sisters and we can learn some of the lessons that they have to teach us. The Voice of the Martyrs sends out every month a, a free newsletter. I've got a table out there. There's a sign-up sheet. If you'll give me your name and address, I'll make sure that you get that newsletter. That's so we can tell these stories so that you can learn the lessons of some of our brothers and sisters who have already been persecuted. That's why we do Voice of the Martyrs radio so that you can hear directly from them and learn the lessons that they have to teach us. I've had the privilege in 18 years at VOM of, of meeting and interviewing literally hundreds of Christians who have faced persecution. I want to unpack a couple of lessons that I've learned. I, there's tons, but I want to focus in on a couple because I think they're le- they have something to teach us. I think there's things we can take out into our week and really model ourselves after them. The first lesson I think we can learn from them is we need to learn to live in daily reliance on God. Now, as Americans, most of us live in biweekly reliance on our paycheck. Okay? The first and the 15th, we're going to get a check. That's going to meet our needs, hopefully, for the next two weeks. We need to learn to get away from that and learn to live in daily reliance on God. I want to introduce you to a, a man named Muhammad and his family. I met Muhammad in January in northern Iraq. A little more than 10 years ago, Muhammad had a dream in which Jesus came and appeared to him and spoke to him. Muhammad woke up from his sleep. He decided if, if Jesus was so interested in me that he would come and speak to me in a dream, I'm going to follow him. Now, at first, his wife, who was a devout Muslim, she was not very happy about this. But then a few weeks later, she had the same dream. And she woke up and said, Jesus is real. We're going to follow him together. Now, I asked his wife the question. I said, so, you know, how, how is Muhammad different now from when he was following Islam, before he met Jesus? And she kind of smiled and she said, well, he doesn't beat me anymore. I was like, okay, good. <laughs> you know, that's a step in the right direction. They began to share Jesus in their city of Mosul in northern Iraq. And pretty soon their house was burned to the ground. Because you see, those who witness to Muslims, they're going to pay a price. They lost their home. But they kept witnessing about two years ago, ISIS came to Mosul, and they knew it, it wouldn't just be our house this time, it'll be our throats. And so they fled. Now, Muhammad's ID card still says Sunni Muslim, so they were sent to a Sunni Muslim displaced person camp in northern Iraq, surrounded by more than a thousand Sunni Muslim families. They were the only Christians. Now, when I got there in January... There were parts of two other families that had become Christians because Muhammad is not done witnessing for Christ. As you can see in the picture, they live in a tent. It was cold. The snow was melting outside. It was muddy. They had a little kerosene heater that just kind of knocked the chill off in the tent. And at the end of our time together, I asked Muhammad, I said, Muhammad, you know, tell me, what are you praying for? What are you asking God to do for you? 
And Muhammad said, well, we have everything we need. I don't have to ask God for anything. I want to confess to you that my first response was to try to argue with him. Muhammad, you're living in a tent in a refugee camp surrounded by Sunni Muslims, some of whom would like to kill you. You don't have everything you need. But I felt like even in that moment, the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, you need to shut up and listen. Because see, Muhammad said, we have a roof over our head. We have the food that we need to eat today. And we have a mission field in every direction. We have everything we need. Friends, that is living in daily reliance on God. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about next week, next month, or next year. I'm thinking about today. I have everything I need. We need to learn to live in daily reliance on God. Now, there's a corollary to this. This is the second part of this. We need to learn to hear God's voice. Because, see, if you're going to live in daily reliance on God, you're going to need to hear from him. Again, goes back to you're going to need to be in his word. But we need to learn to hear God's voice. Not long ago, I talked to a man who smuggles Bibles into hostile and restricted nations. And he talked about landing in Tehran, Iran, with 80 Farsi Bibles in his suitcases. Friends, if you want to do something that will really improve your prayer life, Get on a plane to Tehran with 80 Farsi Bibles in your suitcase. You will pray like you have never prayed before. And my friend talked about getting off the plane. When he gets off the plane in a country like that with illegal Bibles in his bags, and he says, Lord, which line should I get in? And he talks about how repeatedly the Lord guides him to the right line. A nudge here a smile from a customs officer there. We have to learn to hear from God in that kind of moment by moment, Lord, what do I do now? What about this step? We have to learn to live in daily reliance on God and we have to learn to hear God's voice. I want to give you some homework this week, a challenge Sometime today, I want you to get alone with God, and I want you to say, God, please, in the next seven days, give me a job to do. Give me an assignment. And then I want you to live moment by moment this week, anticipating that at some point in the next seven days, God's going to lay on your heart, I want you to do this. I want you to call that guy and pray with him. I want you to go next door to your neighbor and invite them to church. I want you to talk to this person about Jesus. I want you to put a $20 bill in that guy's hand. I want you to ask God today, Lord, in the next seven days, give me a job to do. And then I want you to live the next seven days literally with your ears open. Is this the job? Is that it, God? Because that will help you understand and learn to live in that kind of daily reliance on God. The third lesson that I think we can learn from our persecuted family is to see opportunities to serve and witness, even opportunities that lie down the path of suffering. What happens when we get in a place of suffering? What's our first prayer? Lord, get me out of here. Ease my suffering. 
Take this pain away from me. I want to introduce you to Zhang Rongliang. He is the leader of one of the largest house church networks in China. And not long ago, Uncle Z, as they call him in the church there, was released after serving seven years in prison. Now, in the, in the course of his life, he spent about 25% of his life in prison. But most recently, he served seven years. And while he was in prison, Voice of the Martyrs had him on our website. We had people writing letters to him in prison. We had people writing letters to the Chinese officials, asking them to release him from prison. And after he came out, he met with one of my coworkers. And he said, thank you. I want, I want to thank Voice of the Martyrs. Thanks for trying to get me out of jail. But he said this. He said, I'm glad you failed. Can you imagine? I sure am glad I got to serve my full seven-year sentence. But he went on to say that there were 5,000 men in the prison where he was at. And he shared Christ with some of them. And they shared Christ with more. And they shared Christ with more. And he said in the course of that seven years, all 5,000 men in that prison had the opportunity to hear the gospel and make a decision, yes or no, about following Jesus Christ. And so he said, I'm glad you failed to get me out of prison because God had a job for me to do in prison. We need to learn to see opportunities to serve and to be a witness, even opportunities that lie down the path of suffering. There's a third challenge that I want to give to you this morning. And I think it's a crucial challenge for the American church right now. Do not fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, it says in 2 Timothy 1, but of power and of love and of sound mind. There are parts of the American church that are very fearful. The government is coming for us. The election's going to go this way and I'm scared, or it's going to go that way and I'm scared. Do not fear. The founder of Voice of the Martyrs was a man named Pastor Richard Wormbrand, and he spent a total of 14 years in prison in Romania because of his faith. He was arrested on February 29th, 1948. He was walking to church, a van pulled up, a guy with a gun got out, forced him in the van, and he went. And he, for that time, he was in prison eight years. He just disappeared off the street on a Sunday morning and was gone for eight years. This is what he writes about that day. I knew that I faced questioning, ill treatment, possibly years of imprisonment and death. And I wondered if my faith was strong enough. I remembered then that in the Bible, it is written 366 times, once for every day of the year. Don't be afraid. 366 times, not merely 365, to account for leap year. And this was February 29th, a coincidence that told me I need not fear. I want to tell you another story about a lady in a Muslim nation. Her husband was the leader of a house church and he was arrested. For three months, she had no idea what had happened to him. He just disappeared. And one night before she went to bed, she was praying this prayer. Dear God, please don't allow them to find me. I can't handle torture. I cannot handle a jail cell. You said you won't give us more than we can handle. So please, 
please, please make them not come and arrest me. I'm not strong like my husband. I can't handle the torture. In fact, if they torture me, I will give away the names of every member of our house church. And Father, I might even deny my faith in Christ. So please don't let that happen to me. She says this prayer. She goes to bed. 6 a.m. the next morning. She looks out the window. There's two police cars in front of her house. She goes downstairs talking to God. <laughs> now, God, this is, not, this is not what we talked about. Remember, I told you I don't have the faith for this. I'll give up everybody's name. They take her to a filthy, nasty jail cell and throw her inside. This particular lady is from kind of an upper-class background, and she had never been in such a nasty, filthy, disgusting place. She was praying in the jail cell, Lord, I, I'm, I can't handle this. I'm going to give up everyone. I, I will not be tortured. Middle of the night, they take her to court. She stands in front of a judge with a long, bushy Muslim beard. And when she enters the courtroom, he looks mad. Why are you and your husband telling Muslims about Jesus? You know that's illegal. You can't do that here. This is her story. She says the only word she could think to say was, Dear Lord. And then she said, At that point, I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me. This is what she said as she looked up at the judge. You know what? I have a right to evangelize, and I'm happy that I'm evangelizing. We're supposed to evangelize. This is a commandment from Jesus Christ himself. Everyone needs to hear this good news. You need to hear this good news too. You're a poor man. I feel bad for you. You don't have peace. You don't have joy. You don't have hope. You don't even know why you're alive. The only way to the truth is Jesus Christ. You're the judge here in this room, but someday you're going to stand before the ultimate judge, Jesus Christ, and he's going to examine you. Without him, there's no hope for you, and Jesus is going to ask you, why did you do this to my servants? As you might imagine, the judge looked surprised. Ah, I see how it is. All right. I'll handle you tomorrow. Take her back to the cell. Now, this lady, as she shared the story, she's going back to the cell saying, why did I do that? What did I do? That's horrible. It's going to be worse for me now. So she makes this plan. I know what I'll do. When I go back to court, I'll apologize to the judge and I'll tell him how sorry I am for offending him. Middle of the night, the second night, they take her back to court. She does the same thing. She feels the Holy Spirit come on her and she preaches the fire. They send her back to the jail cell. Third night, she brings back to court. The same thing happens. She goes back to the cell. An hour later, there's a knock on the cell door and it's the judge. And her first thought is, he's going to kill me or he's going to rape me. But he says, no, 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 I'm not going to hurt you. Can I come in and talk to you? This is what he said. Do you know that you're an angel of God? Did you know that God sent you here at this particular time in my life? The past three days, I've been going through hell. How did you know that my life is so crazy, so messed up? I tried everything in my religion and I could never seem to be happy. 
I learned today that the only Savior is Jesus Christ. When you were talking in my courtroom, that wasn't really you. And she said, you got that right. (laughs) I saw myself in God's presence. Please help me to be saved. Three hours in the jail cell, they prayed together. This judge's heart was changed. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, I will release you and your husband if you will agree to disciple me and help me grow strong in the faith. And by the way, let me give you some advice about how not to get arrested again. Here's why I love that story. Because God and I, we've had that same conversation. Lord, I'm going to northern Iraq and I can't handle ISIS. I can't handle being arrested. I've got a family to feed. You can't let that happen to me, God. But you know what this story says? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about how strong you are or how much pain you can tolerate. It's about God. It's about God's spirit empowering you. We don't have to be afraid because God can do anything. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Don't think it's about you. It's about God. I'll never forget several years ago, I met a Filipino Christian who had served in Saudi Arabia and he'd actually been arrested and sentenced to death in Saudi Arabia and God intervened miraculously and and he was released and, and has actually moved to America now. But he said something I'll never forget. He said, until God is finished with you on this earth, you are invincible. Nothing can stop you until God says... Do not fear. We don't have to live in fear of persecution. We don't have to live in fear of election results or Supreme Court decisions or doctor's diagnosis. Do not fear. How do we as American Christians respond to the stories of our persecuted brothers and sisters? We get serious about our own personal walk with Christ. We study up and learn the lessons of our persecuted brothers and sisters. And we do not fear. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Element Church. Thank you for the plans that you have to use this church and these people to impact the city of Cheyenne, the state of Wyoming, and the country of the United States, and even the world. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray that you will bless them and encourage them, give them strength. And Lord, I pray especially for those who who are asking you today, Lord, in the next week, give me some homework. Give me an assignment. I want to hear from you. Will you speak to their hearts? Will you point them in the direction that you want them to go? Will you give them a job to do? And then, Lord, give them the strength and the courage to obey, to be faithful in that task. Father, bless the rest of our day. Teach us to follow you more closely. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you very much.